0: Welcome to Finance Lab, a podcast for the intellectual investor, powered by Dalbar, an independent financial research firm dedicated to improving the investor experience. Finance Lab is where real investors get practical insight and perspective from real experts. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the fascinating world of finance, exploring topics like investing, financial planning, market trends, and everything in between. We're here to empower you with the tools and knowledge necessary to make informed financial decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to Finance Lab. I'm your host, Corey Clark, Chief Marketing Officer at Dalbar. This is a special edition of Finance Lab in that this episode is directed towards financial professionals. We're going to dive deep today into the world of ERISA and what advisors need to know when advising on 401k assets held away. If you're a financial advisor, particularly if you're not an ERISA specialist, this episode is for you. Uh, Tremendous opportunity to provide added value to clients, but it comes with some risk if it's not done properly. Uh, Our guest today is Kevin Clark. He's the CEO and co-founder of Plan Confidence Corp. Kevin has been a Dalbar registered fiduciary since 2016, and he worked as a financial advisor for 20 years in the Chicago area from ninety seven to 2017. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today on Finance Lab.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Corey.
1: Kevin, I'd, I'd like to take a, a trip back in time, if we could, to 2008, which was a, a very memorable year or a forgettable year, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, but you mentioned to me uh, that in 2008, it was a, a bit of an inflection point for you in your career. Um, what did what did you experience in 2008 and how did that change your trajectory?
2: Yeah, so 2008 was... Um, uh, very interesting, I guess, the term to use as uh, the markets were were in free for all, uh, which really started uh, back in you know October of 07 and early on in 2008. And I started getting clients coming to me saying, you know, Kev, the money that you're handling, which was mostly in IRA, rollover accounts, whatnot. Uh, they're like, that's fine. I'm not worried about that. But look at my 401k. I'm getting killed. What am I supposed to do? Uh, And being as sharp as I was, I heard it about ten times before I was like, "Whoa, this is like a real problem that my my clients are experiencing." Is they need help in regards to how to to position the money within their their four hundred and one k plans, like I was managing in their IRA accounts. And I knew enough about uh, the ERISA rules and regs, and I also had a broker dealer affiliation back then uh, to know that you can't just give somebody advice. You know, you you cross a line between um, an ERISA fiduciary and providing education. And I knew my broker-dealer wouldn't go for it unless I really had everything buttoned down and all my my ducks in a row. So, you know, I reviewed ERISA Law, read every book I could get on ERISA, which there are very few <laughs> books written about Arissa for the financial advisors. Uh, and, and I came up with the uh, the process. I went to my broker-dealer, showed them, said, hey, look, I want to charge for advice. This is how I want to do it. And they finally signed off and, uh, and said, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and do that. As I was doing it, it was very manual. Um, a lot of Arissa has to do with documentation, so uh, it started to get very time-consuming to provide that advice to my clients. So I talked to a buddy of mine who I knew was a software developer, and I showed him the process that I used to get a three-page PDF to his wife so she could handle her uh, her Keebler 401k plan outside of Chicago. And I asked, you know, can we can we automate this process? And he said, if you could label it we could automate it. So that's where everything started. It was uh, software built specifically just for my firm. As I started going to conferences and talking to other advisors, uh, that kept expressing an interest in using the software. So I went back to uh, my buddy Mark and I said, Hey, look, we could probably create a business out of this. Um, we're going to have to redesign it, you know, so every advisor, you know, has the ability to put up their own picture, contact disclosures and everything that's required. Um, you know, and revamp it. So we, we started doing that. I sold my practice in 2017, uh, outside of Chicago. Like most people, I then moved to Florida <laughs> who have a, uh, liquidity event and can work from anywhere. Um, and I'm now the, uh, the, the, CEO and the co-founder of a plant confidence corporation.
1: Could you tell us a little bit about what plant confidence corp does, what it is?
2: Yeah, we're very, uh, we're very specifically focused. Um, you know, again, it was created by me as a, an investment advisor for over 20 years and my partner, Mark, who is a software developer for, for over 20 plus years. Uh, and we specifically, we, we help participants, people that have money and define contribution plans, uh, those held away accounts that we know them as advisors, 401k, 403b, so on and so forth. There's a hundred million Americans, hardworking Americans with money in those plans right now. Um, we created essentially um, software to specifically tell those people with the money in those accounts exactly how to manage their money, given the very unique investment options that, that their employer uh, has chosen for them. Because uh, obviously, it's difficult as the financial advisor, because unless you're working with that client, you know, or only one client, or all your clients were at the same firm, you don't really know what investment options they have. So uh, we've got that down to a science. Uh, it's compliant with all the ever-changing Department of Labor rules and regs, which we may get a new one today. <laughs> it's dropped off at the, the OMB office or so. Um, and we've also then housed in 2016, we put all that technology into an internet-only RIA due to the uh, Obama administration actually changing the ERISA rules and regs.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know you mentioned the the change in in the rules and regulations. I mean that's what's made this space even even more difficult. I mean we had fiduciary rule in 2016 that's struck down. We get PTE 202002 in 2022, which changes the definition of fiduciary through the preamble. That's struck down, and I think that's been struck down by two circuits now. So. All, all of this has been a whirlwind uh, over the last, I don't know, seven or so years. Uh, hopefully, we'll finally get to a, a, a position where there's settled law. Um, but fiduciary law is settled. You know, some of the, you know, what makes you a fiduciary or not a fiduciary is still up in the air in, in some cases around the fringes. But Kevin, could you talk to me a little bit about what it means to be an, an ERISA fiduciary? Because it, it's a bit. A lot different, actually, than uh, the standard of care that m- many professionals may be operating under.
2: Yeah, and an ERISA fiduciary is different than being a SEC or, or state uh, registered fiduciary. Uh, but being an ERISA fiduciary, and this is where some of the circular logic comes in from, I guess, our federal government. Uh, but the only financial professionals who can work with the 401k participants or plans are ERISA fiduciaries. And the way you become an ERISA fiduciary is by working with any of the participants or the plan for a fee or if you have any type of discretion or so over the account. So, if you work with them, you charge a fee, you become a fiduciary. If you have discretion, you become an ERISA fiduciary. So... As such, it's a little bit different because if you're not an, an ERISA expert, if you're not literally an expert in the field, um, you're required by ERISA to actually hire an expert, you know, to do that. And this is where a lot of it starts to cross over, you know, between the uh, the DOL rules and the SEC rules or whatnot, because a lot of advisors are probably very well adapted, you know, investing money or so, but they might not know how to overlay the ERISA rules, you know, and there's very check the box, you know, under ERISA, what you required, you know, first and foremost is a ERISA fiduciary acknowledgement, which most firms that we work with, we've actually seen actually have this. A lot of it's got it embedded in the ADV uh, because of the prohibitive transaction exemption 2020-02, the conflict of interest rules uh, that came under the Trump administration. It actually required it. So you couldn't even have done a rollover last year unless you had a uh, a written fiduciary acknowledgement, you know, that that your client signed off that they got uh, but then the bigger one is a written prudent process. Most advisors don't have a written prudent process of how they're going to work with the away accounts. You know, the ADV, there's no language, their investment policy statement doesn't count. Um, you know, so you need to have, you know, and you can debate on what the term prudent is, but you at least have it have written process, you know, started before you actually, you know, work with any of these. And part of your written process is going to say how you're going to review all the available Investment options, how are you going to overlay asset allocation models? How are you going to deliver the advice? You know, is it going to be, uh, you know, via computer, you know, like a web browser or an app like we do? Are you going to do it via email to your client in person, you know, over the phone, so on and so forth? You know, all that's going to be disclosed, including, you know, who's trading the account. You know, are you as the advisor trading it? Are you going to teach your your clients how to trade it? You're going to hire, uh, you know, a third party to, to trade the accounts. And then the biggest thing, and this is where it gets really, uh, Time-consuming, but it's probably the most important part, and that is the documentation. So, not only do you have to, you know, have your written policies and procedures, have your client sign off on it before you started, then you're going to have to prove that you followed, you know, your written policies and procedures each and every time. You know, so if you're quarterly rebalancing for, you know, a hundred clients, let's say, and you've got six or seven different data points that uh, that you Provided in your written process, you're going to have to have six or seven data points times a 100 times four, you know, in all of your notes. So it gets really time consuming because you have to repeat it each and every time and you have to keep all that documentation uh, for at least six years uh, at the minimum. Uh, there was a Supreme Court lawsuit called Tibble v. Edison, which actually states you may need to keep it for the lifetime uh, of your client because becoming a risk of fiduciary could be a lifetime duty. Um, not just the six years has been, uh, settled for quite some time. And there is one caveat to the PT twenty twenty o two, 02, um, because you're right in the preamble, they struck down, uh, they tried to change the definition of who is an ERISA fiduciary and they, the DOL tried to, uh, state that if you're recommending a rollover and then you're actually going to manage the account that that whole process is continued ongoing. So the recommendation of the rollover is actually considered fiduciary and of fiduciary act. Uh, the courts did strike that down. They said, you can't change the definition in a preamble. However, if you are working with held away accounts already as an ERISA fiduciary, you know, so you're charging a fee for your advice or you're, you have any type of discretion over it. Um, uh, you still do need to use pt twenty twenty oh two 2 because that way you still are an ERISA fiduciary prior to recommending the rollover. So it is just part of one continuous process. So um, pt twenty twenty oh two is not dead. <laughs> um, I have a copy of that in Arissa law I always keep on my desk. Um, it may get killed off by the uh, Biden administration here shortly, uh, as we are expecting new uh, new rules to come out literally any day. They said they'd be released in in August. So uh, maybe by the time of this publication, uh, <laughs> they'll actually be out and uh, we'll have a chance to read them.
1: Yeah. And we, and, you know, at Dalbar, we've been doing a lot of work on, on fiduciary risk and fiduciary risk mitigation and management. And we we advise our clients to, you know, follow PTE 2020-02. And, and most clients are, are doing that anyway, because we don't know exactly what's going to come down from the DOL. But I think we can safely assume it's going to be uh, as stringent, if not more stringent, uh, and yeah, and PTE 2020 two is is probably going to live, um, and so that's that's the world that that advisors are gonna are gonna be living in. Uh, you know, it's it's not official yet, but it's inevitable at this point. And so there you know, there's really no really no benefit in in trying to dodge it at this point. You know, you're uh, if you want to recommend rollovers, if you want to recommend. Uh, risk of assets, you know, you're not going to be able to avoid the, the the fiduciary moniker. You know, we've talked about the regulations and how the, you know how they've been sort of moving about over the last seven years, and so you know there's some risk in, in things that, that that in unknown there, but you know we're going to get clarity within months or even w- within days, maybe <laughs> maybe. Um, but what? What happens when an advisor doesn't follow the rules? Because that's something that's a little bit different as well. There are, there are some, some things that I think advisors need to understand when it, when it comes to uh, following ERISA rules and and what the consequences can be. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about, you know, what you've seen in the industry uh, with respect to ERISA and the risk that could be involved if it's not done prudently?
2: Yeah. And, and unfortunately, a lot of the advisors, they they probably unknowingly, you know, even violate the rules because, again, ERISA is very check the box, dot the I's, cross the T's. It's not like Reg BI, which is very, you know, what the lawyers call facts and circumstances. You know, we have to look at each case and see how it was applied. Um, you know, ERISA's either did it or you didn't do it. So a lot of the largest firms actually fear, you know, two main things and they actually don't provide this. Um, number one is the penalties involved. Uh, first and foremost, it's personal liability. It skips corporate, you know, pierce the veil, all that kind of stuff. erisa um, has got literally written into it. Anyone who violates ERISA will be personally liable uh, to pay back any losses. So if you didn't have your written process right, you know, and let's face it, everything lost money last year. Um you know, except for, you know, what, energy and commodities. And I haven't seen a 401k with energy and commodities as a as a holding in it. Um, but you personally could have to pay back any losses your client experienced. You also have to pay back all your fees. There could be uh, excise taxes, all that kind of stuff. And again, that could come out of your personal assets. Uh, the other thing to, to note, you know, for advisors that are out there that are currently doing this is um, double check your E&O insurance. A lot of E&O does not cover ERISA fiduciary liability because it is so... Uh, easy to to not do it properly, uh, that oftentimes you have to add ERISA coverage as a writer. So it's not necessarily uh, part of your standard E&O. Um, the other thing, and this is my my professional opinion, is probably what scares the largest firms the most is uh, class action lawsuits. Uh, ERISA, unlike you know, being an SEC or state registered, where everybody's got a mandatory arbitration clause in their their contracts, uh, ERISA states can't have that. You know, they they could turn any one of these into uh, into a class action lawsuit. And the DOL's on record saying that there are no small violations. You know, of ERISA. you know, you either did it or you didn't do it. There's no small. Um, and again, going back to the the frequently asked questions of the uh, the PT twenty twenty two they also went on record and stated, hey, if you're going to work with these clients, there's probably almost no chance that you could do it without computer software. Um, and that was one of the things that was always kind of missing in our industry. You could piecemeal, you know, right now, a bunch of pieces of software to probably be compliant, and put that as a written process. Um, but no one's ever pulled it together, um, you know, like we did. And probably, you know, again, with the class action lawsuits in the large firms. They know that hey, we got tens of thousands of advisors that are out in the field right now. Uh, it's probably hard to to supervise them all. It's probably hard to make sure that they're staying compliant with the ERISA rules and regs. Um, so again, they're just gonna, you know, kind of just go with the flow and say, hey, look, we don't we don't want our advisors doing that at all. Um, so you know, with the personal liability class action lawsuit threats, um, you know, I, I believe it really creates an amazing opportunity for the uh, the independent firms that are willing to embrace that, you know, ERISA fiduciary status, you know, accept the liability, know the liability exists, you know, know what's associated with it, uh, accept it, create the written prudent processes, create the, uh, you know, the fiduciary acknowledgements and all that stuff. And then they, they really have an ability to go in and, and dominate their their local market, um, just like I did back back in Chicago, you know, from, you know, 2008 to 2010, 11, 12 when word got out that I can do something that some of the largest firms in my suburb cannot,
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the class action lawsuits because, you know, even though those are typically directed at the the very large plans and the very large enterprises, um, they're very instructive, I think to everybody in, in the industry in terms of, you know, what is reasonable, what, you know, what is excessive fees, what is a prudent process. And we've been getting a lot of decisions, over the last month or so that that's really, you know, there's no, there's no consensus across the circuits necessarily, but we are getting, I I think a lot of uh, good information that's helping to inform what makes a prudent process. But I'd say the main takeaway from that is really echoes what you were saying is that it's about a documented prudent process A fiduciary is not going to be liable for their results. They're going to be reliable for the process that led them to those results. So I just wanted to mention that to sort of underscore what you were saying in terms of a prudent process, because that is being sort of etched in stone a little bit in, in some of the decisions that have come down from the various circuits over the last few months.
2: Yeah, no, that that's actually an excellent point. Um, you know, ERISA was written in 1974. I was, I was a year old. <laughs> um, it'll be 50, you know, it turns 50 next year. Uh, it was 30 years ERISA went on and there were no lawsuits. Uh, you know, and then the famous lawyer in St. Louis who has been <laughs> suing everyone for excessive fees and it's shaped the behavior of 401k plans. You know, when I was first doing this, um, you know, in 2008, 2009, it was not odd to get a 401k fund lineup with, you know, 75, 80, 100 different options for for uh, the average client to choose from. Now, I see them in about 30 or 35 options and a dozen of those are target date funds, you know, and it's all because of those. Uh, excessive fee lawsuits that kind of went through. So, um, yeah, we all do pay attention to the courts. It does seem to be a moving target at times because each administration seems to put their own stamp on there. Uh, But when we train advisors, just as you said, ERISA doesn't require you to be right retroactively. ERISA requires you to have a prudent process and follow the process. So, again, if you have all your documents in a row, you know, in my opinion, an auditor or a lawyer, the only thing they're going to be able to do once you can prove we have a prudent process, we followed our prudent process is now they're going to have to try to prove that your process isn't prudent, which I think is going to be a much higher yeah. hurdle to hop over versus they audit someone and they go, show me your prudent process. And they go, "Oh, I, I don't have one. It's right here in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I think that advisor is going to be in a lot bigger trouble.
1: Yeah. So let's pretend I'm that advisor, right? And, uh, and, and say I, I I come to you for for some advice, some counseling, and and uh, and I say, uh, you know, Kevin, I, you know, I rev- I meet with my clients once a year, and and we go over their four hundred one k statement, and I talk about it, and I mark it up. What what would your thoughts be on that process in terms of prudence?
2: Yeah. So Corey, that that maybe your client may think that's okay, but as the advisor, um, it, it could be problematic. There's there's possible violations of ERISA if it's considered, you know, advice, not education. Um, you obviously don't have a written process or fiduciary acknowledgement signed off in that case. There's, there's absolutely no documentation of you uh, reviewing all of the available investment options and the, the, the fees associated with anything. Um, you know, my professional opinion, it's just plain sloppy for the participant. It's, it's obviously unprofessional for the advisor to do that. And it exposed, you know, you and your firm, you know, you personally, as we talked earlier, uh, to pay back any losses. You know, if, you're, if your clients figure that out, if, you know, the DOL or a lawyer can get a court to deem it as fiduciary advice as you being an ERISA fiduciary. And really, most importantly is, you know, for your client, the quality of the advice they're getting. Um, you know, think about it. if you're an advisor and let's say you're running, you know, IRA money or, you know... Brokerage accounts, things of like that, and you're actually trading more than once a year, but you're only working with that client once a year. Um, you're going to have a hard time explaining to the courts why it's okay for the 401k to be advised once a year, but you to you know actually handle all the other money and your firm in a different manner. And you know, let's face it, markets move just way too fast nowadays. You know, when I started in '97, you still got the newspaper, <laughs> you know, saw everything. Now we have you know second by second, you know, right there in our, our pocket on our phone. So. Uh, you know, there's 100 million Americans out there that need help. You know, they need professional ongoing advice. You know, uh, you know we figured out a way to, to easily deliver that uh, to the participant, you know, via a dashboard, any, any browser, or they could literally walk around with any advisor's advice directly on the phone if uh, their clients are using the, uh, the app that we created. Yeah,
1: it, 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 it's a great point because the investor behavior has has changed so much. And so you know, what's on the plate of the advisor in terms of what they need to do to manage the client's behavior in, in an age of instant information? Is, well, that's a, that's a whole other podcast, really. <laughs> but... um What I'd like to do is we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, I'd like to ask you, Kevin, about what you call the two moving parts of the 401k, which I think is a really interesting paradigm and way of thinking about it. Uh, So we'll, we'll dive into that once we get back from this quick break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Dalbar. Dalbar is the nation's leading financial services market research firm and is committed to raising the standards of excellence in financial services. For more podcast episodes, visit financelab.dalbar.com. And now, back to the episode.
1: Welcome back to Finance Lab. We're here with Kevin Clark of Plan Confidence Corp, and we're talking Arissa. I do want to note I meant to I wanted to mention this at the beginning, but to the best of my knowledge, Kevin and I are not related, even though we share the same last name. I'll have to consult my ancestry.com report, but I don't I don't think that we're related. As I mentioned in the right before the break, you talk about the two moving parts of a 401k. Uh, and this has been in a lot of your writings as well. And I thought that this was really interesting and, and a really interesting way of, of looking at it. Uh, could you share with us what these two moving parts are of, of the 401k?
2: Yeah, abs- absolutely. From a uh, participant's perspective, you know, when they're putting money into the 401k, it's extremely easy. They fill out a couple forms, salary reduction. And then every time they get paid the employer is supposed to be moving that money directly into the four hundred and one k. So for most people, it's it's probably twice a month if they get paid the first and fifteenth. If they're every other week, it could be two or three times a month. Uh, but those are called future contributions. So in the biz, we call those you know future contributions the money that's going into the plan uh, with each and every paycheck. Now we have a unique spin on this, as um, we believe that. You shouldn't necessarily put that money that's going into the plan directly into the same investments that you've rebalanced uh, your 401k into because um, dollar cost averaging. You know, with the future contributions, we literally have, you know, two or three times a month the ability to to try to profit off of volatility. You know, it's the one piece of the 401k plan that makes it extremely powerful. So uh, our software is actually powerful enough to separate the advice for each participant between... Uh, here's where you should be putting your money, each paycheck, you know, your future contributions. And here's where you should rebalance or what the uh, the, the biz calls, you know, where their current allocation is. You know, we as advisors would know that as a rebalance. Um, now, obviously, we, we can't day trade 401k accounts or, or anything like that. That's long gone. Uh, most firms still have short-term trading restrictions. You know, it's not odd to see 30 days. Uh, every now and again, we still see 60 or 90 day uh, short-term trading restrictions. So you kind of need to know in terms of the rebalance, um, you know, the second piece of that is how you're going to manage that money. Now, we're pretty agnostic when it comes to the advice in there. Uh, we have five strategic allocations uh, that, that rebalance on a quarterly schedule, you know, so the moderate, you know, 60-40 is always going to rebalance back to the, the 60-40. They're always going to stay fully invested, all that. Uh, we also have four tactical. I actually like to call them semi-tactical because, again, because of short-term uh, trading restrictions, we can't you know, necessarily run a pure tactical model, but that one's going to be rebalanced differently based off of uh, what the markets are doing. Uh, specifically, we look at uh, the 50-day moving average, the relative strength indicator, the RSI and the S&P, as well as the MACD, uh, the momentum average convergence divergence lines, and uh, the VIX, if I didn't say that, Um And with the semi-tactical models, we actually have the ability to uh, tell clients when they should be holding more cash. So actually on August 1st, um, the sell signals went in and anybody in our tactical models uh, were told to move half their equities in cash. So instead of 60-40 on moderate, uh, it literally went 30% equity, 40% bonds, and 30% is sitting in cash uh, as of right now. And then one of the things that makes us extremely unique, and again, going back to our, our agnostic uh, view of the advice for the rebalance instructions is we allow advisors to program uh, our software with their own unique asset allocation models. Now, when an advisor does this, you know, they do sign a hold harmless with us that they're going to follow uh, what the DOL considers a generally accepted investment theory. Um, they upload their models, fill out an Excel spreadsheet. We actually program our software. And then if they got that information to us today, uh, tomorrow at nine am. Eastern time, all of their clients would get a uh, push notification or an email telling them to log in uh, and check out the new advice that's very specific to uh, however that advisor wants them to be positioned as well as the investment options that their employer uh, has chosen for them. And then it's up to the advisor, you know if they're teaching their clients how to trade the account or there is some uh, pretty cool third party software out there that advisors have access to. Uh, which would allow them to trade the hell of the way 401k accounts right now. Great. so I,
1: I wanted to ask you a little bit more about plan confidence because we, we've talked a lot about ERISA and and, and sort of you know set the big picture table uh, in terms of the opportunity, but you know the risks on the other end. What's unique about plan confidence and how does how does plan confidence get at those particular hurdles or burdens that that we mentioned earlier in the in the segment?
2: Yeah. So, you know, specifically, we were designed for the 100 million Americans that are investing money in their, uh, in their 401k, 403b, you know, any of the defined uh, contribution uh, plans out there. That's all we do. <laughs> we don't manage money. We don't do anything else. We don't compete with any of the advisors. Uh, but we created software, you know, literally to overlay any firm's asset allocation models over any fund lineup. Uh, you know, in terms of the 401k, 403b. Uh We're also the only firm that has the DOL rules, ERISA rules, SEC rules, all that stuff actually built into our software. So when you click that button, uh, you can feel confident that, you know, you're not running afoul uh, of any of those laws. And that's never been done before. We have a direct-to-consumer version, which is a small piece of our business. Uh, but mostly we we lease our uh, software to other advisors and we also have a uh, promoter agreement uh, ie a solicitor agreement before the SEC got rid of all solicitor agreements last year uh, but we have the ability for advisors if they don't want to deal with all this um, you know they can refer their clients and then uh, we mm-hmm. basically split everything 50/50 from there so uh, we accept the full risk of fiduciary status uh, we know most firms are out there trying to avoid it um, <laughs> we we Uh, We embrace it. You know, we're very confident in the written process, being prudent um, and following all the ERISA rules and regs. Where could I learn more about Plan Confidence? Yeah, the main um, website is obviously PlanConfidence.com. You know, first screen on there is going to say, are you an advisor or are you uh, a participant? Um, But for the uh, the actual advisors, we've created a website called Give401kadvice.com. Um, again, that's give G I V E 401k advice.com. You can learn a lot more about Arissa rules and regs. You can learn a lot more about disseminating best execution, all that, you know, getting everything out to your clients at the same time, um, on the give 401k advice site, you're going to see, uh, we're launching a new, uh, a best practices training certificate, which will be out at the, uh, the end of the quarter. Uh, it's going to be eligible for CE credit, um, it's going to literally walk you through so you could become, you know, if you, if you get asked by a regulator or a, a lawyer, you know, are you an ERISA fiduciary expert as required by law? You know, you could go through this, earn your certificate and say, hey, yeah, I am. Uh, we also have the software, which, you know, we'll take on that that liability. Uh, and we do host webinars on the uh, the ERISA rules and regs, you know, go into a little more detail. Uh, we actually talk about the why, you know, it's not because the government's trying to get you. Uh, there's some very specific reasons why. Uh, each administration is trying to put their stamp on ERISA. Um, and then obviously we do uh, live demos too uh, of the software every Thursday at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern time. So all that's on give 401 kadvicecom
1: great yeah and that's that's four oh one k no no parentheses and you'll be able to see that link on the on this show page on financelab dot com there will be backlinks so uh if you're listening to this episode through there uh you know just check out the page you'll you'll see the backlink that that'll be right there Great. Well, we're just about out of time. Kevin, thank you so much. This was a, r- a really fun conversation. I mean, I'm an ERISA geek, so I, I love talking Arissa. Um I had a great time. Uh, I-, I hope that the listeners, I think that they got a lot of great information here uh, to understand the opportunity uh, and the risks associated with this. Any parting words for us before uh, we go?
2: I always call myself an Arissa nerd and um, I know the uh, viewers can't or the listeners can't see this, but I'm holding up the PT 2020 regulations as well as all the ERISA law. I know you can see Corey. So uh, I keep that right here on my desk. So I'm an ERISA nerd while you're an Arissa geek. So uh, that's probably <laughs> why we get along so well.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, thank you everybody for listening to Finance Lab and we'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please visit financelab.dalbar.com to connect with today's guest. We'll see you on our next episode of Finance Lab.